0: The following Truth Barista podcast is a High Beam Ministry production. For some people, it's hard for
1: them to swallow the pill that Christianity is a belief of peace when it's connected to the Old Testament Joshua passages.
0: You know, Joshua 6 verse 20, we get this from Muslims all the time, where Joshua was told to go into the city and to kill all men, women, and children, all living things. And it seems to suggest, therefore, that we are to be violent. The answer I give to that is I, look, I say, listen, God was saying something unique to Joshua that he didn't say to anybody else. And that's interesting because it's in 1400 BC, we leave it in 1400 BC. Thank God we don't follow that model. Who do we follow? We follow Jesus. He takes the Old Testament Mosaic law and he turns it on its head and he gives a whole new covenant, a whole new law, a whole new testament. That's why we look to Jesus. Welcome to the Airzads Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your truth barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M, ministry.com, as in car highbeam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead.
1: Well, Truth Barista, we're back in the booth again, and you know, I got a great question and kind of ties in with what we're reading and seeing in the news because there's no peace anywhere anymore in any city in
0: America. Yeah, I know. You just look at the news and it is incredible. All the turmoil out there and just the lack of peace and you see it online too and people are flaking out all over the place. 23 states have already called up the National Guard and more than 40
1: cities including New York, Washington and Los Angeles are now under curfews. Oh, it's crazy. But you know, I read in the scriptures a troubling verse. Okay. Well, tell. Because I think that most of the churches, most ministries have this idea that, that Jesus was all about peace. And yet in Matthew, it talks about that he did not come to bring peace but a sword and this is what it says don't assume that i come to bring peace on earth i did not and i and i had underlined that in my bible i did not come to bring peace but a sword. Now, that is a different interpretation of Christianity, isn't it? You would think that, wouldn't you? But that does raise a
0: very important question. So, if we were to kind of encapsulate this in a title today, is our Bible study about Christianity being a religion of peace? Or is it a religion of violence or warfare or something like that? Is Christianity really a religion of peace? How's that sound?
1: Well, I, I love it. I mean, we need to study this because I think people have gotten into seeker sensitive ministries and everything is compromised. We don't want to offend anybody. Because we, really, we have to keep the peace. We have to keep the peace. We don't want to. So I, I think we need to really delve into this and, and come up with an answer that I think justifies what that verse is about. What what is that sword that he brings? You know,
0: I think you're right on that. And also, I've noticed when I talk with some of the students at Big Brain University and some of the professors that come in here, too, you start bringing up the idea of Christianity and the next thing they throw in your face are the Crusades. And they're saying, oh, sure, Christianity is a religion of peace, but what about what do those Crusaders do to all those people? You know, and it's like,
1: well, they were wrong. Well, you're right, Truth Barista. I mean, history is really a tough thing to discern especially when we move so far away from the original event. Crusades were wrong in so many ways, but they were motivated to do what was right initially. Here I googled it, it's on my phone, listen to this.
2: You're in a conversation and someone says, the Crusades prove that Christianity is actually a violent religion. What would you say? Even though the Crusades happened over 800 years ago, they're often used as an objection to Christianity, However, the people who use the Crusades as an argument against Christianity often don't know what actually happened, and therefore they don't know how to think about them. When a warring group of people from Central Asia called the Seljuk Turks converted to Islam, the Seljuk Turks, as new converts to any religion tend to be, were fanatical. Things got nasty. The Seljuk Turks abused and persecuted the Christian populations in the Middle East. They shut down pilgrimages to Jerusalem and desecrated Christian holy sites. The Crusaders were motivated by a conviction that the holiest city in Christianity should be in Christian hands and should be a place where Christians are safe.
1: Well, it just seems that the Crusaders were trying to protect their own kind. In other words, their religion. You know, that's
0: basically the only thing you can say because it's like compare their actions with what the Bible says, which is what we're going to get into. I Absolutely. Think. What does the Bible say about this? And that's where the truth barista really has to go is what does the Bible say? about the function and the purpose of Jesus and his way of the kingdom. Is it peaceful? Does it bring peace? All that kind of stuff.
1: Well, and what I love about you, Truth Barista, is you always bring us back to some foreign language like Greek or Hebrew to come up with the definitions to what we're talking about. So you're learning. So we're gonna start with something that I think is Greek to me. Well, it's not going to be the
0: language of Greek and Hebrew, it's going to be the mindset Or the world view of Greek versus a Hebrew mindset. Are you ready? Ah, I'm ready. Okay, the Greek way of thinking, we've talked about this before, the Greek way of thinking describes what a thing is, whereas the Hebrew way of thinking describes what a thing does. It's what it is versus how something functions. So from a Greek way of thinking, we can ask the question, is Christianity peaceful? Well, yes, it is, but not always. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that frustrating? Oh, yeah. It is. Because sometimes our faith demands very unpeaceful actions to defend what God has given us things like life, things like liberty, or even our total dedication to him. I mean, there is the concept of a righteous war out there. You look at what Nazi Germany was inflicting upon the war. This was more than just a geopolitical battle. This was a spiritual battle, and many people jumped into the battle because they saw it as a spiritual battle, and Christianity as a force for good was, (laughs) so to speak, unleashed through the various soldiers in order to combat the darkness, the spiritual evil that was being inflicted on the world. So is Christianity always peaceful? Not in that sense, although generally it is. But here's what's more important. Does Christianity function as an agent or a vehicle to bring peace or to impart
1: peace? Does that make sense? Well, it does, but there's two parts of peace. One with God and one with people, right? Exactly. And so I think there's definition that has to be defined in those two elements. Right. So you've got Christianity is
0: peaceful most of the time. Hebraically, it does function to bring peace. It functions to bring, first of all, peace between you and God. But it also, as you go through the Bible, teaches us how to be at peace with other people, even people that we don't agree with and how to be at peace as far as possible with the world around us. But you know something, the world is going to push back and that's something I'll get to in a little bit here. But here's the idea of peace and here's now the language part. Greek, the word for peace in Greek is actually where we get the name Irene from. Irene, like Irene, like woman Irene? Exactly. Wow. It's irene, which means to, it's a state, not an attitude or relationship. It's the opposite of war. It's the absence of hostile feelings. So when we have peace with God, the hostile feelings he has toward us and we have toward him because of our sin is erased. And now there's peace between us. That's the Greek side. Now, when you're talking about the Hebrew side, we're talking shalom. That's more concrete. That is a sense of wholeness and completeness and well-being. Well, when we have peace with God, there's a completeness and a wholeness and a well-being that comes between us. So we have a negative and positive side to peace. There's the absence of conflict, which addresses the negative, but we also have the presence of wholeness and well-being. That's the positive side. So Does following Jesus remove a state of hostility and bring completeness and wholeness to us? Well, yes, Yes. he does. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Absolutely.
0: And why does he do this? Well, it's in his nature and his mission to do it. He is called in Isaiah 9, the Prince of Peace. I love this verse. We hear it at Christmas time all the time. For a child will be born for us. This is Isaiah 9, 6. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, don't just think description, now think function. As the Prince of Peace, in the Bible, names denote somebody's nature or their mission. In other words, who they are and how they're going to function. This means Jesus is going to function as a prince of peace, a great person whose function is to quell hostile feelings and bring complete wholeness and well-being to everyone within the borders of his realm. Since God's kingdom will eventually cover the whole earth, then Jesus' function is to bring peace with God and peace between people. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Good, now talking about Jesus' birth, now we're jumping ahead quite a few centuries here it was prophesied in Luke 1 that Jesus was going to be this one who would bring peace. It says, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high, he's referring to Jesus, will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into a way of peace. That's Luke 1, 78, 79. The dawn from on high that will visit us is Jesus. The way of peace means creating harmony with God between us. Jesus function is to steer us into harmony with our heavenly Father, and those who follow Jesus are expected to do the same. Because he teaches his disciples in Mark 9:50, "Be at peace with one another," and in Matthew 5 he says, "Blessed are the peacemakers,
1: for they will be called sons of God. Okay, I have a problem. Okay. Well, because Jesus said that we would be persecuted as he was persecuted, because our message is contrary to what all the rest of the world is thinking and doing. So if we're bringing peace and going to be peacemakers, and we're going to stick to the script of the message of the gospel, how is that possible? You know, that brings up your sword question doesn't it? (laughs)
0: Yes, it does. (laughs) Okay. That was very good. It does bring up that question because, well, let me let me go with that scripture right now, that Matthew 10, 34 scripture. Okay. He says, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, does that mean Jesus wants us to take up arms and to conquer the world for God?
1: No. Okay. No, but that may have been something the Crusades used. I but don't know. But it was know. a
0: justification. Sure. Absolutely. We have to conquer evil. Right. That's where the line gets really, really fuzzy between what God wants us to do and what people are using of god to accomplish so let's get back to what it means what does that really mean it goes back to what you're talking about there is a natural battle right now since the fall to the point when god's kingdom takes over the earth in the end according to the prophecies that the world is at war with god and god is at war with the world that's that hostile attitude those hostile feelings because god's holiness is offended by the world's sin and rebellion. It's just like when you're a father, right? You and I both had kids, okay? And you look at your kid and you say, this is what I want you to do in the house. And the kid just looks at you and goes, no, I'm not gonna. Or if you say, please go do this and they do just the opposite. Yeah, that really brings us a lot of pleasure, doesn't it? It kind of kind of evokes a few hostile feelings, doesn't it? It does.
1: <laughs> you mean you're telling the truth, Barista, your kids aren't perfect?
0: that's the subject of a different sermon okay i love my kids but everybody knows when you grow up and those kids just throw things back in your face it doesn't exactly please you so this is the situation between god and his children now what we're talking about is jesus his mission was to bring peace between god and peace between people but it's the message that it was coming is what the world rejects. Because the world doesn't want peace with God. The world doesn't like peace between people. Oh, we talk a good game until it starts infringing on our toes or our personal worlds. And then it's like, oh, all oh, hell breaks loose. You know, Don't you dare infringe on, on my lane on the highway. Or don't you dare talk me down publicly on Facebook. And that's when the knives come out, okay? So the world is at war with God. It's not with the mission, it's with the message. And what Jesus is talking about here is, yes, I came to bring peace, but the, but the sword is inherent in the message. By preaching God's kingdom is breaking into the world to bring peace to the world that the world doesn't want God's way. That's where the battle breaks out. Well,
1: it's accountability, right? God, he says, you've got sin, and that sin is making war against me. Right. Well, we don't want to be held accountable to that. Let me put it this
0: way. The world wants peace with God, but they want it on their terms. On their terms. Good. Point. God wants peace with the world, but demands that they do it on his terms. So that's where the sword comes in. It's not the fact that Jesus is bringing a sword to use the sword. He's saying the very message that he's bringing is going to result in the world taking up all arms against God. I mean, one of the biggest things you see today is the martyrdom of Christians around the world because the world, religions, and secular governments, many of them don't want God's kingdom. They don't want Christians who are living peaceful to stay peaceful. And suddenly you have Boko Haram or you have Fulani herdsmen who are Muslim going into a village and just indiscriminately slaughtering 10, 20 people at a time, including the pastor of the church. And so what have they been doing to you? Well, we've been preaching the gospel and living right. Well, that's not the message that the world wants to hear. There's the sword. That's where that comes in.
1: Well, you know, I think there's another sword among us today, and that's the sword that we have to rightfully divide an empty cup to a full cup. And I think we have gone from a full cup to an empty cup of coffee, so we need to take a break. So
0: get thee hence, sir.
1: I want to be very open with you. As a Christian, I am ashamed that the name of Christ has been associated with violence and war. Because those who fight in the name of Christ, far from obeying him, are disobeying his explicit commands. Truth, religious or secular, ladies and gentlemen, cannot be imposed by force. down among Brazilians Coffee beans grow by the billions So they've got to find those extra cups to fill They've got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil
0: The Truth Barista podcast is a production of High Beam Ministry Shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead To get more Truth Barista podcasts Go to truthbarista.com we love your comments and your suggested topics. So send suggestions to your Truth Barista at the Barista, all one word, thetruthbarista at gmail.com. Okay, so we're back, and we're talking about that verse, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus' message is about the ultimate fall of a human-dominated world system, and the world hates that. So the world hates God, and it hates his messenger, his message, and those who follow his message. Jesus' mission brings peace, but it's the message that creates division. People either have to line up with God's kingdom or they will find themselves fighting against it. So the question is this, is the lack of peace surrounding Christianity on Jesus and his followers, or is it really on the world? Christianity is a religion of peace, but it's a peace on God's terms. The world's way is a war for supremacy. So when God is saying, this is the way, walk in it, the world says, oh, heck no. And that's where the division and the battle comes from. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, for I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Does that mean Jesus wants to bust up the family? No. What he is saying is, my message will bring so much division that even the tightest most intimate, most warm relationships are going to struggle. And for many of us who have family members who accept Jesus and family members that don't, there's a tension there. Oftentimes, absolutely, absolutely. Especially with the dinner table and the time, ta- do not talk religion. That's what you <laughs> hear. Don't talk
1: religion. And religion oftentimes today is tied in with politics. Right. I mean, the both are one and the same almost today, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. Now, you emailed me a question about that seeker-sensitive church thing. Um, give that to me again. Well,
1: I think that the seeker-sensitive church was, uh, in some ways, a compromise. It was saying, well, we have to get the world saved. We have to get our message out. Out there. So we're not going to put our dictates out there. We're not going to make the message of Jesus at all harsh or demanding. We're going to just soften it so much that it oftentimes didn't even seem like Christianity. Secret-sensitive churches have in a certain way done a
0: great job. They've gotten the message out to people.
1: I think they have, yes. Okay.
0: The flip side of that is they don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to turn them off from hearing the message to begin with. That's the issue. So what they do is they kind of give you the front half of the message, which is God wants you to switch allegiance from the gods of this world and the God of yourself to the God of all creation, him. So you're switching allegiances there. You're trading kingdoms, so to speak. But what they don't tell you or what's not emphasized as it should, is that there is a requirement once you get into the kingdom. And that's what's being soft peddled, lest it turn people off, going, hey, I don't want to join that company if I have to do these kinds of things. I just want to join the company and say, I'm a member of XYZ Divinity Company, but pff, I want to be on the payroll, but I don't want
1: to do any work for it. Well, I think the seeker-sensitive churches emphasize grace, God's grace. right? But sometimes... I think what you're saying is that grace can make us lazy. We've got grace, God does it all for us. There's nothing more I need to do. As to salvation, God does it for us. As for godly
0: living, God's grace helps us do it. There's a point of salvation where the Holy
1: Spirit does the work After salvation, the Holy Spirit helps us do the work. So we actually are actively participating in his kingdom with his help after we actually enter through the threshold of salvation. Is that what you're saying? That's right.
0: Okay, so getting back to this thing, in a sense, the Greek way of thinking is to eliminate the hostile feeling. That's the seeker-sensitive message. You can have peace with God. It stops right there. But the second half is this, when you join this kingdom, it demands you live God's way and not your own. And it's the battle between the worldly desires and the worldly thinking and God's desires and his thinking. That's what causes the division and the lack of peace. Jesus says it clearly, and this rings in my ears often. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, now that's an allegiance word. You are my Lord. Okay. And it has demands attached to it, right? If I'm your Lord, I have the right to tell you what to do. So not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. It's not what you are after salvation necessarily. It's also what you do. We have to think about that. So in other words, you don't have to do something to get into heaven other than switch your allegiance. It's after you get into the kingdom you start doing to
1: prove
0: your allegiance. So
1: that's where the 30, 60, the parable Jesus said, some will be 30% or some will be 60%. And somebody will
0: produce a hundredfold. Yes.
1: So in other words, that they are producing something after they're in the kingdom.
0: What I love about that is does the king is happy with whatever you produce.
1: Right. It's right. the
0: one who did absolutely nothing. He says, "Get the heck out of here." <laughs> now, think of this. Wow. I, I, and I love to think in pictures and stories, so there are two warring kingdoms. Kingdom A and Kingdom B are enemies. If you're in Kingdom B, well, of course you'll have peace with everybody in Kingdom B, but you're not at peace with Kingdom A. Kingdom A makes every citizen of Kingdom B an offer. Jump sides and you'll be on the winning side. And you can do this freely and willfully, but there is one condition. Once you're in Kingdom A, you must abide by the laws of the land. Now, while you profess allegiance to your King A, your obedience will prove it. But if you refuse to abide by the laws and the customs of Kingdom A, that's actually denying your new allegiance and will subject you to deportation as an enemy combatant. When Kingdom A wins, and it will, you'll be executed along with all the other enemy combatants in Kingdom B. This, in a sense, is kind of a fairy tale way of looking at it, but that is the truth of the kingdom right there. You can't be a member of God's kingdom and still live the world's ways because now, as, as they put it, you are an enemy of the cross. You are an enemy combatant on your own soil. And so you have to live according to the laws of the land to prove your obedience. We get this in fairy tales. Why don't people understand this in Scripture? Because such things are spiritually
1: discerned. But some people will teach that once you become a Christian, there's no way that you could ever lose what you have been given by Christ. Now you open up another Pandora's box of theology that I think sometimes people misunderstand what salvation is and what it is not.
0: Okay, I'm going to try to deal with this in 15 seconds. You ready? Set your clock and go. Okay, Jesus said, Father, no one can take them out of my hand. Okay, doesn't say anything about you walking out of his hand. So it's not up to others or anything else outside of you, but there sure is, according to the scriptures, verses that say yes and walk out of kingdom A, and deny everything, and be lost. Wow. Okay, so and that's not a very popular word to hear in churches today either. No,
1: it's not. Because, because now
0: everybody starts
1: looking at themselves going, how am I
0: doing, you know? Yeah, well, they want should.
1: safety and security, and that's uh, something we're losing in the world itself, but They don't want to hear it in the church. Exactly.
0: The idea of God's judgment is not popular in the church, but it is coming. It is a crucial part of the scriptures. This is why Jesus came, was to keep us out of God's judgment. Kingdom A is going to win. And you have a free choice and a free passport into Kingdom A. But to stay there, you need to abide by the laws of the land. It's this message that God's kingdom is coming that makes Christianity, it's kind of like projection. The world then becomes an enemy to God's kingdom, but then tells God's kingdom is actually the enemy to them, so it's not a religion of peace, but it's actually the world that's at war with God. If that makes sense, it just seems really odd.
1: Well, it does, but it is, and it's true. I think that God's wrath. Jesus came to help us escape God's wrath, but those who do not accept Jesus will experience it. And and you talk about this oftentimes in your teaching. You talk about fire as a symbol of of judgment, and judgment is something we don't want to talk about. But I think you want to end on that today, right?
0: Yes, that's what I want to talk about a little bit before we finish up here on the peace thing. That fire only affects an object depending on what it's made of. See, if it's made of wood, it's going to burn. If it's made of gold, it's not going to. In fact, it will actually purify it, make it better. So this is the issue. When you're in kingdom B, that's the wood kingdom. If you're in kingdom A, that's the gold kingdom. And God's fire is coming. In fact, Jesus said, oh gosh, where is that in my Bible here? Right here, it's in uh, Luke chapter 12. I came to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already set ablaze. What is he saying is, yeah, as the agent of God's wrath, as the Son of Man when he returns, part of his job is going to be to get rid of all evil on earth. And that includes people who are fighting against God's kingdom. But there's there's only one problem here. The world is under God's judgment. God has no peace with this rebellious world filled with rebellious people. Jesus is saying he wants sin to be judged so the world will be restored to peace with God. But there's only one problem. The people are getting in the way, right? They're his children. He doesn't want to destroy his children. So in the next verse, Jesus says, But, 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 I have an immersion, a baptism, a submersion to go through. What is this? He's going to be submerged in death in judgment, so that the people will be released and can come back to God and avoid that fire that's coming. Then when the fire comes, it's not a fire of judgment, it's a fire of purifying.
1: Isn't that great? What a great picture.
0: Wow. Now, if you don't understand the Hebrew idioms or the ideas behind it, you kind of get lost and it sounds terrible. But what Jesus is basically saying is, verse 49, there's judgment coming, verse 50, but I'm the agent that will prevent it from happening. And then he goes into 51. He says, do you think that I came here to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. What does that mean? That means his message of you can come to kingdom A or you can stay in kingdom B is going to divide people. And again, he gets into the family thing. He says, people are going to choose to be in kingdom B. Some people are going to choose to switch allegiance and come to kingdom A. King to me, you're outside of judgment. King to be, you're going to be judged, and that creates division and a lack of peace. Again, Christianity is a relationship of peace between God and peace between people. But the message—that's what brings division—is perceived as not being peaceful because you're not letting people alone in their sin. Please, leave me alone so I can go under God's judgment. That's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? So was the Christian community a peaceful community? Well, you look at the book of Acts. It says, so the church, this is Acts chapter 9, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Paul taught about peace in all of his congregations, in the Roman congregation. He says, if possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And he's not just talking other Christians. He's talking everyone, okay? (laughs) Whether you agree with their politics or not. So here he is, Romans 14. So then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. This was an in-house question. People were fighting over kosher foods and they were fighting over spiritual gifts. And Paul's going, hey, even in the household of God, what's most important is peace. Talk about it, discuss it, great, but be at peace. In 1 Corinthians, the subject of divorce came up. What if an unbeliever wanted to leave a believing spouse? Paul says, you know something in that case? Let that unbeliever go to keep the peace. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of disorder, but peace. In 2 Corinthians, his other letter to them, actually, they think it's a third letter, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Become mature be encouraged, be of the same mind, be at peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you, 2 Corinthians 13. And of course, Galatians 5 is all about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Peace is to be a character trait that is in every believer. Why? Because we're born of the Son, the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. If my Prince of Peace is is of peace and shalom, I should be reflecting that in my character because I'm being made in his image. And you get into Ephesians, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. A hallmark of a Christian community should be unity confirmed with peace. And finally, he says to the Thessalonians, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace. Yes, we want things to be peaceful, There are times to be passionate. You can still be at peace and be passionate. That's important. But you can't be at peace if you're warring with one another. So is Christianity a peaceful religion? Yeah, it brings peace with God and peace with one another. Is Christianity the source of peace and the vehicle for peace? Yes. And that's what we need to be praying for today. We need to be agents of peace no matter how the world wars against us you like the Truth Barista podcast, we'll do something about it. Go to Apple iTunes and their podcast page. They will notify you when new ones drop. Or you can go to our Facebook page of the Truth Barista and you can like us there. Or even better yet, go to the website, push the RSS feed button, and you'll be notified via email when new episodes drop. Now do it. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast. The best way to find out when a new podcast drops is through RSS feed. Go to our website, look for the RSS button, Press it and then enter your email. You'll be notified when a new podcast drops. Thanks for listening.